You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Um, If you would, take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And while you're doing that, if you'd stand with me. Stand with me if you would while I turn to Isaiah chapter 40. You can turn back to the end of the chapter. I'm just going to read one verse right now. um, And then we'll read numerous other verses uh, throughout the the message. But for now, we're just going to stick with the one. Uh, So we're going to read verse number 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 31. The Bible says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Probably a fairly familiar verse to most of us. You might even have it memorized. Um, it's, it's a good, encouraging verse, and I uh, hope the Lord will, will show you something through, through what he showed me this week. So let's pray, and we'll begin. Father, again, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the opportunity uh, for me to stand here behind this pulpit and take your word and preach it to your people. Lord, I don't take that opportunity for granted or lightly. Lord, I pray that you'll help me as I speak to say the words that would be helpful and beneficial. Uh, Help me not to do things under my own brain power or willpower, but Lord, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Say the words that you'd have me say, not of my own, Lord. Be with our pastor again, his family is their way. Give them safety uh, as they come back to us this next week, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, as uh, as Pastor had asked me, this is he. I think he asked me about a couple months, which is the longest lead time usually you get for a, a sermon, which is awesome. Uh, and I've been thinking about what to preach on. And if you were here a few Wednesdays ago, I read a verse from just a few verses earlier, verse number twenty-eight, before Jacob preached, I think, or before Samuel preached. Um, and this, this chapter has been on my heart and my mind for quite a few weeks. Um, if you remember back at the beginning of the year, I had an opportunity to preach, and I was talking about how Carter and I were going to read through the Bible together. So we're still going strong on that, just to give you an update and hold us accountable, hold Carter and I accountable. Carter is ahead, because he's an overachiever. So he has, he has read beyond where the dates are for where he's supposed to be at this point, which is great. Um, but we've been in Isaiah and Jeremiah, just finished up Jeremiah, so if you're reading to get through it in about a year, you're about, probably into Lamentations about now, if you're kind of on the same schedule as I am. And so I've been through Jeremiah and Isaiah here recently, and, and chapter 40 has really kind of stuck with me a lot. And we'll, you'll, we'll get there and I'll show you why. Um, but then reading through Jeremiah, if you realize, and I think pastors talked about Jeremiah here not too recently as well, is that Jeremiah did a lot of prophesying, and everyone, no one listened to him, right? He told the nation of Israel, all this bad stuff is going to come, Babylon is going to come, you're going to be taken captive, repent, and they're like, get out of here, man, we don't know. These other priests and prophets we have are telling us a different story, which is much better than what you're saying, so get out of my face, even put them in prison, um, and Jeremiah was treated pretty poorly. Um, but all that was about Babylon coming. Right and taking them captive for 70 years. And the Lord told the Israelites, told the nation of Israel and Judah, you're going to be gone for 70 years, but when the 70 years is up, you're going to come back. But they're coming, because you, you won't listen to me, you won't obey me, you've done what you want to do, and I can't, we can't do this. It's, it's not allowed. 
And so the Lord said, they're coming, they're going to take you away. It's, it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Um, and Isaiah talks some about that too. And Isaiah, if you would think about this book being written to the children of Israel, and when they would read it contextually, right, they would have been in captivity reading the things that Isaiah is saying to them. And think about it. Just think, put yourself in their position. You know, they sinned, and this is God's judgment on them, but imagine a foreign country coming to South Dakota and taking the, the healthy, the strong, the wealthy, the ones that could do everything, and taking us away to a different country. Just You're ripped out of your homes. You don't have a choice. Your homes are left. Your things are left. You are now captive of another country to serve them for, the, for adults for the rest of your life. For your children, that's where they're going to grow up. It's in a foreign country serving a different president or a different king in this instance. Imagine. And then imagine being living there and, and not really knowing how long you're going to be there. Maybe you didn't pay attention to the prophecies. You don't know it's a limited amount of time. But you've been living in captivity and you might lose hope. You might think your God forgot a you, doesn't know the things you're going through. And you can be pretty depressed, pretty desperate, and just sad and, and miserable in a foreign country. I mean, we don't worry about that in America. And, but this is something that happened to them. So historically, you know, to give some context to this, that's, what, that's what's happening. The Jews could be reading this in captivity. And, and Isaiah is going to give them some comfort, give them some hope tell them about the God that is their God, and then give them something to kind of hold on to for the rest of their life. So that applies to them in that aspect, but also it applies to to Jesus' time, when Jesus comes. There's some prophecy here about a voice that crieth in the wilderness. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that's John the Baptist, when Jesus comes, crying for the Messiah that is coming. So this chapter talks about deliverance from captivity, So it applies to that nation of Israel and Judah at that time, but then it also applies to the nation of Israel in Jesus' time, right? who the Roman government's in charge of them. So the first scenario, we're taken away to another country, right? and that's where we live our lives under someone else's rule. Now, with the Israelites in Jesus' time, they lived at their own home, but they weren't in charge. So just imagine, I don't know, say Canada decided to invade the United States. They come down, they take over, now we're Canadian, Right? The whole nation's Canadian. We still live in our homes, but we, we have to pay Canadian taxes. Right? We all have to, we have to obey the Mounties as they come down our roads. You know? We have to eat maple syrup all the time. And we have to watch hockey. Like, it's, it's a rule. It's the law. You know? That's the Canadian law. For us in America, we are now Canadian Americans living under Canadian rule. Now, that's funny, and they, Canadians are usually pretty nice and not really worried about oppressive Canadians, right? But here in this time, in the Romans, the Romans were not kind to the Israelites. You know, they, they were in charge, and they enforced their rule on the nation at that time. And they were looking for a deliverer, too. They wanted to be free of Caesar's rule. They wanted to be their own nation again, and they were looking for their Messiah to come and free them from the bondage or the rule that they were in at this time. Now, if you look at this chapter, this can apply to them as well and say, there are some things, and we'll get to them, but it applies to that time as well for those Jewish people living under Roman rule. And then we can look to when we live today, right? The New Testament church, after Jesus has come, he died on the cross, he paid for our sins with his blood, the mercy that we were given that the, the lady sang about this morning, and rose again, and now we have 
New Testament churches teaching Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles, to get saved and have a home in heaven someday away from this planet and this present world system. So all three time frames this chapter applies to. And if we look at it in a historical context, we can see how the Israelites would take it if they're in captivity. We would see how the Israelites would understand it if they were in Roman, under Roman rule. And then we can apply it to our lives today in 2020 when, I mean, this year has been strange, to say the least. There's, been a, there's a lot of things going on in this, this country that uh, are a little uncertain and a little fearful. I mean, you can look in California even this morning when some churches had letters put on their door telling them to cease and desist, you are not allowed to meet today. And that pastor is going to show up and they're going to have church. Right? And this, that's, that's America. And they're going to use health reasons and things like that for why it is. It's not, they're going to use their you know, logic to get around a lot of things. But think about what's happening. And then think about our world and think about our kids that are growing up. But what's it going to be like in 20 years from now? What's it going to be like in 40 years from now? Who knows? knows? And there can be some uncertainty and some fear just like the Israelites had in Babylon, just like the Israelites had under Roman rule. And Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some things that uh, should give us hope and encourage us for what really matters. All right? So there's, there's the precursor to everything. Now we can actually start uh, the message. So let's go to verse number one. Go back all the way to verse number one if you have to turn back a page. Um, <clears throat> let's look at a few things with those historical context in mind and our, our present time in mind. Let's look at a few things that only God can give us hope and how, how we can get that from here. So verse number one starts off, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. So through Isaiah, the Lord is talking to his people, saying to comfort each other. Verse two, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So he's, he's telling the people in Babylon, it's okay, be comforted. You've, you've paid the price. Justice has been served. He even says you paid double for everything that you've done. And it's, it's okay. It's about to be over. The Lord, the Lord, there is an end. And the Lord still loves you, and he's still going to take care of you. So the first thing we have is there's a promise that the Lord brings. right? There's a promise and even instruction that the Lord brings for his people. So again, his people are discouraged, depressed, maybe even suffering. And if we apply that to us today, it's really easy to get depressed. It's really easy to be discouraged uh, when you see the things going on in the world today and some of the things that maybe we've gone through uh, this year. It's easy to become discouraged and depressed over some things that uh, you don't have any control over. And the Lord says there's, there's comfort here. And we as Christians should be speaking comfort to each other. You know, he's telling, he's telling the Israelites here, comfort ye, my people. You comfort each other. Go around and comfort each other. Give each other hope. Encourage each other. Right? If there's a way that you can encourage someone, we should be looking to do that. The best way to get yourself out of that depressed slump, the down-in-the-dumps feel, the depths of despair, the best way to get out of that is to help someone else. Not to look for someone to help you, but to go and do something and help someone. Encourage word. Uh, bring something to someone. Look for a way to help somebody else. That's the best way to get yourself out of that slump. The best way, even today. And the Lord knew that here. He's saying comfort each other. Go around, comfort one another. 
They needed comforting words. They needed hope. We need hope today. In verse 2, that word comfortably there, uh, it's, it's talking about heartfelt, loving, sincere speech. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. That's, that's, that's a sincere heart-to-heart talk. You ever had those heart-to-heart talks? For me, a lot of times, the heart-to-hearts were when I was in trouble and my dad's like, we need to have a heart-to-heart. Right? That's, those usually weren't good heart-to-hearts, but they were real. Right? They, there was no fluff there. They were real. He was, he was telling me his expectations and where I may have failed to meet those expectations, but it set, set the relationship right. And in this case, God's saying, have, have those sincere heart-to-heart talks with each other. Encourage each other. If someone's been gone for a while because they've been sick, check up on them. See how they're doing. You know, send them something without them even knowing. Send them something. The mail, the U.S. Post Service still works here in South Dakota. Send them something in the mail. I promise you it'll get to them, right? Or just drop it off at their doorstep. Do something for somebody. Sincerely reach out. We, we are God's family, and while we, look in, we live in a world that we'll get to hear what God thinks about the world here in a little bit, but if you look at this membership that's in this church, this called-out assembly, right? We are, if you're a member of Eastside Baptist Church, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you're a member of this local church, we, we're supposed to have each other's backs. We're supposed to look out for each other. We're supposed to help each other out. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. Just the few years that I've been here, which I think it's been like eight years now that my family and I have been coming here, believe it or not, it's, it's apparent that this church looks out for one another. But we can always do better. We can always look out for each other more. So keep that in mind as we go through tough times. Comfort each other. That's the very first thing Isaiah says. Continuing on, verses 3 through 5, it talks about preparing the way of the Lord. So we're supposed to comfort each other, and then we're supposed to prepare. We need to understand what the Lord is going to do, right? We know, we've, we've got the whole book of the Bible, right? In, in Babylon, they didn't have any of the New Testament, right? When Jesus was around, they didn't have any of the New Testament. They didn't know how, what Jesus was going to do specifically. They had prophecies, they didn't have revelation. They didn't know everything that we know. We have the benefit of hindsight, right? We've got the entire revealed word of God that we can pull from. And when we realize what's coming and you understand what the Lord will do and you know that and you live that way, we should be preparing ourselves, right? Verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. So what are you doing in your life to prepare yourself, to prepare your life, to prepare your family for the coming of the Lord? The Lord told us he's coming again, right? In this instance, he was saying, prepare yourself for when you're released from Babylon. Look for that. Look for that release of captivity. And then when John the Baptist came, he said, prepare for the way of the Messiah that's coming to this earth. He said, prepare yourself, believe in him. And then for us today, prepare for the second coming. You know, you won't live on this earth forever. If, if the Lord doesn't return before we die, we still are, have to prepare ourselves for heaven. But if he could come today, he literally could come any moment. Are you prepared for that? Is your life ready? Have you made straight the ways in your heart that you are ready for when God come to come back, you're ready? You won't be embarrassed at his coming. You won't be ashamed when he comes. But you're already because you've been living as if he was already here, as if he could come any moment. And I think I'll speak for myself as Christians sometimes. I live for the world today. 
I live for my job. I live for my bills. I live for my plans. I live for my vacations that I'm planning. I live for my future. I live for my kid's college. I live for whatever that aren't bad, but we live for today. And we live for this week, and we live for this year. And we live for our plans on this earth. And even as Christians, we can get caught up in that so easily because we live here. And it's how we, it's just everyday life. But Isaiah is telling us here, prepare yourself for the way of the Lord. Because he is coming back. You believe that, right? He's coming. It, may, it could be why we're alive. It could be a hundred years from now. We don't know. But he is coming. Period. It's, it's going to happen. And we oftentimes don't live in a way that we actually believe that or reflects in the way we live. Not that we're sinful necessarily, but just we're aloof. We're casual. We're busy with life. And we don't actually live in a way that we believe the Lord can come back any moment. If we knew he would show up at the back of this church this afternoon, we'd probably think differently. We'd probably act differently. We'd probably treat each other differently. You'd probably treat your spouse differently. You treat your brother or your sister differently, young people, because you know the Lord is going to walk through those doors here in a couple hours. It would change, it would change you. And we, that's, that's essentially what could happen any moment. And if we believe that, it would change us. So prepare our way for that moment. And then verse number 10, drop down to there, verse number 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule from him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. So we're supposed to prepare ourselves because the Lord is going to come. And this is a pretty comforting thing. If you read this and understand what it says about our God, the Lord is coming to establish his kingdom. Right? For Babylon, he was coming to release them so they could go back home to their, their home nation. For when Jesus came, he was coming, and then the moment they thought, he was establishing his kingdom there. But he was coming to redeem us, all humanity, for our sins. He was, set, he was setting the foundation of his kingdom. And for us today, when he comes back, it's to establish his kingdom. His kingdom will be established. Today we live under a satanic kingdom. We live under a worldly kingdom. There are good things that happen in this kingdom, but we also know there are very many bad things that happen in this kingdom. The Lord is coming. Behold, the Lord God will come, and he will establish his kingdom. He will come in power. You realize that. The Lord you have, the God you have, he's not just some man that has some really good ideas and is really charismatic and easy to follow, and I would vote for him. No, that's not God. The Lord your God is powerful. And without him, we're his sheep, right? That's what we're looked at as his sheep, and he's our shepherd. Without him, we are weak, we are frail, we are nothing. Even the, the best, quote-unquote, of us as human beings are weak and frail without the Lord. And to know that that Lord is coming to establish his kingdom that we are going to be a part of makes 2020 not seem so bad. makes 2020 seem pretty small, pretty short-lived when you realize that when his kingdom, when he sets up his kingdom, that will last forever, for all eternity. There's no end to it. So there's our first comfort and some instructions on things that we should prepare ourselves for. So when we think about the Lord coming and doing those things, let's talk about that God. And that's what Isaiah does here. He talks about that Lord, that God. So God is fully able to bring deliverance to his people, whether it's in Babylon whether it's under Roman rule or whether it's us today in this worldly kingdom, if we are to look for this kind of God that's able and powerful to be able to do this, what kind of God is he? 
You know, he is the sovereign Lord of creation, we find out first. Go down to verse number 12. Now, this is talking about the Lord. There's some rhetorical questions here. But who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? You know where the hollow of his hand is, right? So you put your hand out, there's the hollow. It's that little depressed spot. That's all the waters that are on the whole entire earth, he says, fit right there. Okay, so just to give you some perspective. Okay, and meted out the heaven with the span. Okay, so this is considered a span, right? From your pinky to your thumb, that's a span. The entire universe fits there for God. Everything. Think about that. And we we've, we've think we've seen so far into space, but we've not even gone near to where it ends. And God says, it all fits here. I can measure it in my span. That's how big your God is, okay? Continuing on, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. He know, the dust, all the dust of the earth. There's a lot of dust on the earth. He, he can measure it all. He knows exactly how much dust there is everywhere on this entire planet. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So he, the, the point of this verse here is your God is huge. Like massive, just in scale. And God is telling us because we're humans and we like, we, our brains work that way. The bigger things are, wow, the better things are usually. So God's saying, I'm so big, and, and I don't think this is the limit of his bigness. He's, he's just trying to give us some perspective. God's bigger than even this in the universe, right? He's, but he's trying to say, listen, you want to know how big and powerful and strong I am and why you should trust me? This is just a little example of, of how you can try to think about it and put it in your mind and make it work. And when we think about that way and we realize that's your God, that you trusted in, that you accepted his salvation his death on Calvary, his blood for your sins, his resurrection, you trusted him. And now you're part of his family. He is your king. He is your God. He is your father. And what are you worried about today? What bothers you? What is depressing your heart? What is weighing you down? What is it you just can't get over, can't get past? What sin is holding you back that you just can't get victory over? And you just think there's, it's impossible. There's no way to get past it. My kids like to use the word impossible a lot. Do you remember doing that when you were a kid? Maybe your kids do it too. When you ask them to do something, it's impossible. Would I ask them to do something that's literally impossible? No. Is it hard? Yeah. But impossible? No. But we do that even as adults. Well, it's impossible for me to overcome this sin. It's just, it seems impossible. Maybe I won't use such declarative statements, but it seems impossible because I have problems with it all the time. Something always comes up that that it hinders me. It's impossible. We limit God by our impossibles. We limit him. Because if the span of the universe fits here, nothing, and there's literally a verse that says nothing is impossible with God. But we limit him with all our impossible things and difficult things. So we're setting up something here. We're trying to build God up. We're trying to put into perspective who God is that can free the Israelites from Babylon, free the Israelites for under Roman rule and save our sins, or save us from our sins, and then today, save us from this world that we live, live in and give us hope for something to look forward to. So he's the sovereign Lord of creation. He brought everything to be. You realize that. He spoke everything into existence. He's above all. And if we continue on to verse number 14, with whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. No one has ever given God advice. No one. 
There's not a, a human or animal or anything that's ever existed that ever gave God advice. And that's what he's saying. Who gave God advice and gave him any kind of counsel on anything? Nobody, because he's above everything. He is God. He is the only God. Verse number 15, he's sovereign over nations. And this is where it applies to Babylon or the Romans or us today, the world that we live in. Okay, verse number 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. So he's saying, if for, again, think about the context. So think about the Israelites in, in captivity. Babylon is the world power at the time. Right? They are the biggest of everything. They control the known world. And God says that giant nation is like a drop in a bucket. So take a, take a dropper. Little, you know, they use medicine for kids or babies. Take some water and drop just one little drop in the bucket. He says, that's the whole world power. That's everything and everyone that's in control of this current worth. That's how I look at it as. So if you were to look at it as a drop in a bucket, that's nothing to you. Imagine what it is to God. A drop in a bucket is, I mean, for us, it'd be microscopic. You'd need a microscope to see the nations of the world from that perspective. God's saying, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm more in control, and it, it means nothing to me. They're nothing to me. So the Babylonians were nothing to God. The Romans were nothing to God. The world system we live under that, as Christians today, we're a little, like, trepid about what's happening, right? We're a little fearful of what possibly could happen and, and the direction our country is going and the direction the world is going and how we call good evil and we call evil good and how things are just becoming backwards. And as Christians, we see it and we're like, oh, this is kind of worrisome, right? It's a little fearful. God says, it's okay. I know what's happening. It's like a drop in a bucket. They're like the dust on a scale. If you put dust on a scale, is it going to move a scale? It's not, you're going to know it's there. That's what God says the world powers are to him. Again, this whole chapter is to bring hope to the Israelites and to bring hope to us and what's to come. So he says he's in charge of everything. God doesn't worry about the opinions or the thoughts of the world. He doesn't worry about policies that are set up. They don't affect him. They don't bother him. They don't, he doesn't go, oh, no, I never thought that they would do that, or I never thought they would think that way. They account for nothing to him. They have no ability to tilt the balance of power at all. You realize that. The opinions of man, the opinions of the world system, according to God, have no ability to tilt the balance of power. God is still God, right? The whole universe fits in the span. No one on this earth has the ability to, to tilt the balance of power. Things will happen. Things may not be good, but God is saying, I'm God still. That doesn't change. God's not impressed or swayed by the rulers of nations or the powers that be. And that's your God. So if your king and your God and your father is not swayed by the rulers, while we are to be smart, while we are to be wise, while we are to trust in him, trust in him. Don't worry so much about it. Yes, you have to live your life. Yes, you have to be aware. Yes, you have to be wise about how you conduct yourself, how you conduct your family, but don't dwell on it to a point where you're terrified of how the world's going to go and the world your kids are going to grow up in. Do you believe God's capable? A couple of us do. That's good. I know. It's a rhetorical question. I understand. I know more of us do. But the God is capable of taking care of us. If we're faithful to him, God is capable of taking care of us 
And uh, next, he's the incomparable one. Verses 18 and 20. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? And so Isaiah is saying, who are you going to compare God to? As humans, who are we going to compare God to? And then he's going to go to the world system at this time that had idols, right? They created idols and they set up these statues and these wooden things and they worshipped them, brought them gifts, poured drink offerings out and did all these things to these workmen things. So Isaiah is saying, who are you going to compare God to? And today in 2020, we don't have a lot of those. We don't have you know, statues of Baal anywhere that other people go and worship. But we have idols in our life. We put things above God in our life and our nation puts a lot of things above God. Right, And those are idols. So we continue on here, verse number 19. It says, The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. So he's saying they put so much effort into making their own gods. They put, they, they put money, they put time, they put gold and, and all this effort into making something. Think about that. Making something that they can worship. They're, they pick a tree that's not going to rot out so it'll last, so the little god doesn't rot, right? They pick something good that they can worship. Um, god is not to be compared to any of those things. I mean, we, again, we just talked about God being the universe in the span of his, of his he can measure it in his span, to compare God to anything that he has made is blasphemous. Think about it. To compare God to, to anything, he made everything. There's nothing that exists that he didn't make or make the components that made up what is. There's nothing that compares to your God. Nothing. And that's what Isaiah is trying to roll out here to, to the Israelites and what, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and God being everlasting, is trying to lay out to us here in 2020 that there's nothing in your life, nothing on this earth that compares to your God. He's, he's, setting, he's setting up himself in your mind to trust him, to put all your hope and all your faith in him because of who he is. So because of all this, God alone is able to control creation. Go down to verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth. And they have because they have the Old Testament. And we have because we have the entire Bible. We, these are rhetorical questions. You have heard these things. But he's saying, think about it. Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. And spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. So he says, You've, have you not, don't you remember? This is who I am. I am the God that sits on the circle of the earth. I measure the span of all the galaxies in, in my, between my thumb and my pinky. Don't you remember who I am? I look at all the inhabitants of the earth as grasshoppers. Now, funny thing, on the way home from work yesterday, just I got off work, Carter was working with me, we're driving home, there's this grasshopper sitting on my hood. I mean, so... Little backstory, as I was preparing for this, I'm, I do this to Lisa a lot of times, and she, you know, smack her head. Um, I was studying and kind of reading. I was like, you think I could get, like, where do you think I could go to get, like, 100 grasshoppers? Like, just buy 100 grasshoppers. She's like, what? Before I gave her any, you know, what I'm doing. I'm just reading the Bible. And then I'm like, say, where do you think I could go to buy, like, I don't know, a bunch of grasshoppers, like hundreds? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, 
how great would it be to get to this verse and have a hundred plus grasshoppers up here and just like give a visual representation? That's how my mind works, right? When I preach and teach, I have visual representations. Apparently, it turns out grasshopper is not so easy to get. I could have got a lot of crickets though, like a lot of crickets. And I was this close to like spending 10 bucks for like 500 crickets and bringing them in. But I'm like, then what do I do afterwards? I mean, it would stick, right? Like it would make, a, it would make an impression. And that's, that's what God's saying. He's saying... The entire, all of us, right, we're pretty big. In our lives, we're the center of our universe. Our families are. We're, we're a big deal. And God says everybody on this earth is grasshoppers. They're, they're, they're nothing. And he's not talking about his children here. He's talking about the world, right? The, thing, the people that are against him. And the ones in the world that are, are working against him establishing his kingdom. Because there's two types of people in the world, right? There are those that are working with God to establish his kingdom. And there are those that are working against him to establish his kingdom. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no neutral. There's no neutrality there. You're either helping God to establish his kingdom or you're working against him establishing his kingdom. So he's talking about the ones that are working against him establishing his kingdom. He says they're all his grasshoppers. They're nothing. They're, they're little insects. They're annoying. They're bugs. That's, that's what I look at them as. And you think about the world and all the people that have ever been and had ever done, worked for God's kingdom or against God's kingdom, there have been billions and billions of people that have lived on this earth. And there's, they say there's like 7 billion or so people that live on the earth today. There's been like hundreds of billions, over 100 billion people that have ever lived. And God says they're all just grasshoppers. They're nothing. They're small compared to me. They're nothing. They account for nothing. There's nothing for him to worry about. Go down to verse number 26. It says, Lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. That is your God. That is the God you put your faith in. He's the one. Not one faileth. He is strong in power. Man, if you want to encourage yourself, you want to encourage someone else, just read this chapter. Just read these few verses in this chapter about how they talk about who God is. And if you have a doubt about how he can take care of you, and you believe what the Bible says, those doubts will be vanished. They'll go away. God is fully capable of taking care of you. He is fully capable of taking care of the thing that you think is is insurmountable. You don't know. You don't have answers for it could be financial, it could be health, it could be relationships. It could be your fear of the things in this world. It could be any number of things that we all struggle with because we're humans and there's sin in this earth. But God says he is, he is fully capable of caring for that. It's not a surprise to him. He, he knows it's there. So as we finish up here, and by I say I finish up, I have like three pages left. But you know, don't worry, it's okay. God's people may renew their strength through hope. Because of who he is, because of who he is, who he says he is. He is that. It's not just him boasting and pride. He's being honest. He is who he says he is. Because of that, we can have hope and strength and, and a way to go on in this earth today. So if you think back to the Babylonian times when the, the Israelites are, are in captivity... Verse 27, these are some things that that they may have thought. Isaiah says here, it says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? 
He's basically saying, why do, you, why do you sit there and think that God doesn't know the things that I'm going through? I, my way is hid from him. I, what my life is happening, he, he's not aware of. He doesn't see, he doesn't, he doesn't care. The things that are going on in my life, they're just too small for that big of God. He doesn't see them. He's unaware of them. They're hid from him. He says, why do you say that? Because verse 28, hast thou not known, hast not thou heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. He's saying, why are you afraid? Why are you worried that he doesn't know what's going on in your life? Why are you saying, ah, he, he doesn't see the hurt I'm going through. He doesn't see the troubles I'm having. I'm so little and so small. Maybe even I'm responsible for the problems in my life. So he doesn't see them. He doesn't care about them. It's just, it's too little for God. My way is hid from him. The judgments that are in my life, they, he just passes right over them. And Isaiah says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, your God is so big, he reiterates again how big God is. If, just in case you didn't get it, the other verses, your God is huge, and he doesn't ever get weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He's not like us as humans, where we don't, if you've been married for any amount of times, guys and women, there, maybe your, your spouse might have a tough day and go through something, and you know they expect you to see it, right? You come home from work, or you come back from wherever and they've had a rough time and and they've had a tough day and their face shows that and i'll speak on my behalf only but maybe you overlook it and you don't see the hurt or the you know the 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 toughness that they've had a rough day and you just overlook it everything's fine and you just go on with life as if nothing happened right that's what we do as humans we miss things we don't understand all the time. We get tired and we overlook things or we're selfish and prideful and we worry about our struggles and our bad days and don't think about even our spouse's bad day. Right? That's us as humans. And that's why when God says, why do you, why do you think this, Jacob? Why do you say this, Israel? That's because we think as humans and we think God is a human. We think of that relationship as if he's one of us and he's going to miss that. He's going to overlook it. But God is not us. God is nowhere like us. God is way, way more better than we are. And he doesn't overlook things. He doesn't miss stuff. That's, that's the point of this verse. God says, I'm not like you. I won't miss things. I won't fail you. I won't let you down. I won't take something you've had in your life and brush it off as unimportant. God says, it's important to me because it's you. And he loves you. He loves us like that. To the point that he doesn't miss he doesn't miss anything. Nothing is passed by him. And we use that a lot of times. You'll hear preachers and sermons will be preached about your sin. Nothing gets past God. And while that is true, and he is holy and just, your hurt doesn't ever get past him either. The things that you struggle with as a Christian, the things that in your life that are hard, those don't get past him either. He sees those too. Because he's that big. Because he's God. So don't worry about those things and don't feel like he just doesn't understand. He just doesn't know. No one on this earth understands. And that may be true, but God does. He sees your hurt. He understands and he wants to help you. He's there for you. And as we continue on, this is the strength that we're going to get from God. Right? God is going to give us strength for believers. Verse number 29. He giveth power to the faint, and them that have no might, increase, he increaseth strength. That is us. 
Even on your strongest day, right, you're most confident and feeling the best day and everything's going your way and you've got all the answers for the day, it's just going to be the best day ever, you are still frail, you are still weak, you are still human. But God gives power to us. God gives power to those of us that are like that and we all fall into that category. We're all frail, we're all weak, we all are going to faint. Even in our best days, we are human and we are weak. But God gives us power. Verse 30, he continues, he says, even the youths, I love that, I love the youths, I don't know why I love that, just that, the way it's said. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. So we look at the young, the young men, and then especially in this ancient time for Babylon, the young men are the ones that fought. They were the strong ones. They were the ones you put your courage and your, your trust in to save you, to help you, to fight, to work. Just the strong backs of the young people that would carry you forward. But God says, even they get tired. Even they get weary. He says, but I'm not like that. Verse 31, and this is what we read at the very beginning. But they that wait on the Lord, or have hope in him, and it doesn't mean like, Sit back and be like, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to do something. Come on, I'm impatiently waiting. The waiting on means putting my trust in, being hopeful for, looking towards. That's what that wait means. Those that wait on the Lord, look for him, hope for him, shall renew their strength. So if you're in Babylon and you're in captivity, you don't know when the end's coming, if you wait on the Lord, put your faith in who he is, who he just told you, he will give you strength to endure through that captivity. If you're the Israel nation under the rule of the Romans, he will give you strength to continue. And hopefully some of them saw the real Messiah that came and gave them hope for eternity. And then for us in 2020, when we go through the things we're going through and the world is the way it is and the fearful things are happening, those that hope on him, look for him, wait on him, the Lord will renew your strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Lord will give us strength to continue. The Lord gives us hope to endure, to not give up, to not become just, I don't know what to do, and throw up our hands and and give up. If we wait on the Lord, if we view God for who he is, and we see God for who he is, he gives us the strength to continue. He gives you the hope to look forward to tomorrow. Not dread tomorrow, but look forward to it. Waiting on him, looking to him, gives us confidence and security and strength in our life today, on this earth right now. So he gives us comfort, tells us to comfort each other, tells us to prepare our hearts, tells us how awesome he is, so that we can have strength and hope to continue. And I'll close with this statement. If we truly believe his word and realize who he is, We will find comfort in this life, faith to endure, and hope for his coming. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.